0: What's up everyone and welcome back to the Brews on the Balcony midweek show. That's the name of the podcast. I'm Zach Zook. I'm the host of the podcast and wow what a weekend of football that we just witnessed on Saturday and Sunday. Two absolutely off the chain games on Saturday. First with the Texans and the Bills and then the Patriots Dynasty falling to the Tennessee Titans at home. Vrabel outpatrioted the Patriots. It was certainly something to watch and then on Sunday you had the Saints and the Vikings in a crazy one there and then the Seahawks outlasted the uh, Eagles on the road. I say that that finale was probably the most boring of the four, especially after Carson Wentz got hurt. But man, what a great weekend of football. We got a Pretty loaded show for you this week. I wanted to start off by talking about, we'll recap the Sunday games, then we'll uh, talk about the coaching carousels, some of the NFL hires, and then lastly we'll preview uh, this weekend's matchups, four games again. Last time we'll have four football games in one weekend because it'll be Championship Sunday, a week from uh, this upcoming Sunday. So our time with football season is running short. We only have one college game left you can start counting down the number of NFL games we have left before uh before the long winter but first a shout out to our sponsors we're brought to you by Cafe Telegraph. Cafe Telegraph hosted us for the Sunday live show uh throughout the regular season and can't say enough about them and they were fantastic to us as as hosts and uh helping to helping to get us whatever we needed uh Christian always firing up the par-fried wings for me. The best smoked meats in town. Fantastic place to watch a football game. Uh, they, I mean, loaded with TVs. TVs all over the place, from wall to wall. Uh, they had every single NFL game on, uh, on a screen that, that was being played at that time. And the noon hour, especially later in the season when nobody's on by... It's kind of a tall task, but Cafe Telegraph can manage it. They have the resources, and it's a fantastic place to, to enjoy a meal or take in a game. We're also brought to you by Kay Roberts from REMAX Gold, one of the best real estate agents in the St. Louis area. Kay Roberts from REMAX Gold helped out TJ when he was buying his home, and I just went to TJ's studio for the first time this past week, and Kay Roberts did a pretty nice job. That house is pretty badass, so uh, I, I would trust her. Kay Roberts got them an outstanding deal. We're also brought to you by STL Distillery, Nick's Boys from St. Charles. Uh, St. The STL Distillery is known for its brew vodka, B-R-U, distilled from craft beer. And we also had a little bit of that in the studio uh, last Sunday for the, for the football live show. And so that was my first time getting to, uh, to, to experience that. And uh, it's it's really good stuff, let me tell you. Uh, they also have the Cardinals Sin Vodka if you're looking to switch it up. Uh, mention Brews on the Balcony. Get a free tour, free tasting. They're fantastic sponsors of ours. Lastly, we're brought to you by Sarah Barron with Family Finance Mortgage. You can give Sarah Barron a call at 314-537-1282 to help refi on your mortgage or uh, get one started for you. Again, that's Sarah Barron, 314 314- give Sarah Barron a call, she'll help you out, she's trustworthy, uh, and and that's that's sometimes hard to find, especially when you're dealing with money of that proportion. You want somebody that you can trust, and you want somebody that you can count on, Sarah Barron's got you covered, 314-537-1282, let's get into the show. Okay, so first up, we're going to recap Sunday's games, we won't recap Saturday's games because we already did that on the Sunday show. So let's start with the Vikings and the Saints in what was an epic clash. Uh, I don't think anybody outside the Minnesota Vikings locker room and their fans gave them a chance to win the game. And I think even if you ask most of their fans, deep down they tell you, "Yeah, we're gonna lose." There's there's no way that Kirk is gonna go down there and beat the Saints. I don't think that they woke up that Sunday feeling very optimistic. Like, oh shit. You know, it's the, it's the old meme, the Grand Theft Auto meme. Ah, shit. Here we go again. We're going to get torched on live TV, and then I'm going to have to hear about it all winter long. And that's not what happened. I took the Vikings to cover, but I didn't think they could win that game. And the reason they were successful is because of Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook gashed the Saints on the ground, and the Vikings were able to get off to a relatively fast start. I think the Saints scored first in that game. But uh, they overcame the turnover, held the Saints to a field goal, which is really a staple of Mike Zimmer's defense. And then they were able to run the ball. And everybody's saying that, you know, I think that the Kirk gets too much hate when he does poorly, but he also gets too much, a little too much credit, I think, when he does well. Um, I think that Kirk is a limited quarterback, and I think that when he's had success this season, it's been because they've got the run game going. And the, the same could be said of any quarterback, especially Jared Goff. Uh, last year, with the Rams won the NFC. A large part of his success, as it turns out, was due to Todd Gurley running the ball down people's throats. They don't have that this year, and he looks like a much different quarterback. And you saw in the Jeff Fisher years, he was so bad. Well, so what is he, really? I mean, I think he, the answer is he's somewhere in the middle. Like, Kirk, I think, is not as bad as he looks some nights, and he's not as good as he looked in the Saints game. He's somewhere in the middle. He's a fairly average quarterback, I think. I was a little higher on him when he was on the Redskins, but the last couple years I've seen of Kirk haven't been that good. But one thing he is good at is he can distribute the football when he has a running game. That's why Kyle Shanahan loved him so much, and if Jimmy G hadn't landed in their lap from the Patriots, Kyle was going to sign Kirk Cousins. Because Kyle loved him in Washington, and he's exactly the style of quarterback that Kyle wants in his offense. Kyle wants a robot at quarterback that will run the scheme that he sets up. Jimmy G is a little bit more of a playmaker, so that's why they've kind of butted heads at times. Because Jimmy G has a little bit more Aaron Rodgers style of play to him. Whereas Kirk Cousins is play action, read one, read two, read three, throw it away or scramble. He is very... uh, very technical in that way of his play, and it's kind of, I guess a generalization for it would be the game managers are kind of this way, like the Andy Daltons of the world, the Alex Smiths of the world are very technical, they're not going to really, well I guess Alex Smith is very, very mobile, but they don't escape the pocket, Kirk's not running away from any defensive linemen, he needs that run game to be successful, because when he has to drop straight back, it, he's just proven it all throughout his career. He can't do it consistently. Now, can he drop back and complete a pass? Sure. But if he doesn't get that play-action motion, if he doesn't get guys freed up for with significant space down the field, he cannot sit there in the pocket and make those throws. And also, I think the Minnesota offensive line deserves a lot of credit because... They blocked for Dalvin up front to get the run game going. And then Kirk really didn't face much pressure on Sunday. And that's another key. When you keep him clean, because he if he starts to get a little pressure, he can get happy feet. And that was something that I didn't really notice in his Washington days, but it's really, really I think mean, come to the forefront in his Minnesota days. And I think part of it has to do with it's mental. Uh, clearly, the happy feet is mental, but I think... He hears the criticism, he hears the outside voices, as much as you try to ignore that stuff, you know how the general public feels about you, and so I think that that makes him sometimes all the more uh, giddy and nervous in these games, like in the Week 16 game against the Packers. I mean, Z'Darrius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, like, he didn't get a chance to breathe. They were jumping him in the backfield. They absolutely decimated the, the Vikings' offensive line. Well, the Vikings answered the bell on Sunday. Because Cameron Jordan really didn't get near Kirk Cousins. Neither did Davenport. Sheldon Rankins didn't do anything. They were able to keep guys out of Kirk's face and allow him to operate. And part of that, and a big part of it, was because of the run game. So that was the key right there to Minnesota's success. But Kirk, give him some credit here. He made a couple of really, really big throws in that game. Namely the one to Adam Thielen. And then that brings us to to that very end of the game. Was it a push-off? Because I think that's the main talking point that everybody wants to hear about. The, they run a fade to tight end Kyle Rudolph, which I hate the goal line fade. I hate it even more when you're running it to unathletic Kyle Rudolph. So how that guy gets beat in the end zone for the touchdown is beyond me. But then you see on the replay, he gets the arms extended. They're hand-fighting in the goal in the end zone, and then Kyle, when the ball's coming down, extends that arm, pushes off of the defender, and catches the ball. So that's the big controversy. So here is my whole thing with it, because by the letter of the law, it's OPI. Vikings fans can't argue with that, because if it was the other way around, they would be losing their goddamn minds. So one thing I think you have to examine, though, and this is why I think it got blown out of proportion so much, is that remembered in a Week 7 game? No, it's not. But this is the playoffs. This is the Saints, who just got screwed out of a non-call defensive pass interference last year that essentially cost them the game. This year, literally the exact same thing happens. It's just offensive pass interference. Now, here's my issue with it, and this is why I'm ultimately fine with it. That's not why the Saints lost the game, A. Minnesota was the better team on Sunday. B... I don't think that was really, like, it's that wasn't an obvious, that would have been a ticky-tack call if they called it regardless, right? And offensive pass interference is not called the same way as defensive. I've seen offensive called for less, though, this year. That's one thing they've really tightened up the last two years. The offensive guys get called for push-offs like crazy. I mean, we saw it even in, a. Uh, in, in the college level at the Rose Bowl, where Wisconsin got called for it, Kyle Rudolph does get into his body and literally push off of him with that arm and full extends it. So that, that, that 100% helped him catch the ball. Now, part of the issue with this, too, is you're on the goal line, so there's a lot of contact on the goal line. There is really hardly ever pass interference call on the goal line unless it's crossing patterns and you grab a hold of a guy. It'll be defensive holding, if anything else. They're not going to call P.I. because you get bump and run within the first five yards. You can mug them at the line of scrimmage. And when you're on the one-yard line, pretty much everything is within that zone. So the officials really swallow their whistles down there. And that's, I think, some important context to understand. But by the letter of the law, especially when you slow it down, it is, by the letter of the law, O.P.I. So... I am okay with them not calling that. In fact, if I was the official, I would not have called that either because I don't think, I mean, the way the rules are written today, like I said, yes, OPI, but I disagree with the past interference rules, so I'm not the right person to ask on that. So I was just a little shocked that Riveron doesn't at least review it. If you review it and you come back and say, you know, that, that's pretty ticky-tack. That doesn't rise to the level. I think everybody can go home pretty happy. You know, call stands. You know, they, they won the game. I'm not calling that. It's it's a very—it's pretty minimal. It's not like he threw the defender down. A little push-off, sure, but they're hand-fighting. 26 I think was the was the DB. He he was all lo- he was all over Kyle too. They were they were jamming each other at the line and then Kyle gets off and extends the arm a little bit as, as to create some space. But I tell you what, if they called that on the offensive player when I was playing college football, I would have given up a zero passer rating, right? Like guys do do that all the time. Nice humble brag for myself there by the way. Very very solid. Uh, but the, the push off was, it, it was very minimal. And I think when you slow everything down to, you know, one quarter speed, everything looks like pass interference. But, uh, I, I just found it a little weird that the NFL, first of all, made that stupid ass th- rule where you could review pass interference. I don't think that you should be able to review penalties like that I mean it's so stupid and it was such a bad idea when they when they put it in I remember in the offseason when they put it in, I was like this is going to be a disaster and it has sur- surpassed what I thought it was going to be so then you deal with all this bullshit so that something like this happens in the playoffs and you can go back and reverse it well <laughs> Kyle Rudolph extends his arm and they don't even review it That was, I I guess, the kicker to me. As a hater of the rules and somebody that hopes that they rip up the rules at this new discussion on the CBA and just totally rework how the game is officiated, that was the one thing I found comical. But the Vikings deserve the win and the Vikings are moving on. That's the main game I wanted to talk about. We'll talk about the Seahawks-Eagles shortly, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. The Jadebian Clowney hit is really, I think, the main talking point from that game. And maybe this will piss some people off. I don't think it was a dirty hit. I I know that some how could you say that's not dirty? It was definitely dirty. Carson's going to the ground. Well, pretty much anytime anybody comes to the ground, there's always guys piling on. And not even piling on because they're trying to get a cheap shot in, but wonder if Carson keeps his knee off the ground. Wonder if he stays up. Carson's a pretty big guy. Carson's falling forward, too. It's not like he went into the slide and you came in with a flying shoulder or a flying head and went helmet to helmet or, and rocked the guy. It was the the hit with the field that gave him the concussion. Jadevian Clowney, of course, initiated the contact that forced Carson's head to hit the ground, but it wasn't Jadevian's Clowney's hit by itself that concussed Carson, so I don't think it was hit. It, it was a bad hit. I don't think it was a dirty hit. Like, again, you slow things down to quarter speed and everything looks like a foul or a penalty. Having played the game, again, like, for 12 years, things move so fast. Like, when a guy's falling forward, I'm damn sure not just going to wait there to see and make sure he falls over. I'm going to finish him off. Because wonder if he does stand up. How stupid do I look than if he gets up and runs for another 20 yards? The, who's gonna get who I'd rather have the refs flag me or get yelled at by them than get yelled at in the film room that was always a motto and i think it's like that for every player so I don't think it was a dirty hit it, it really is unfortunate because Carson had played 16 games and kind of shaken the uh the whole injury prone tag from his that he had shaken that narrative from his career and now it feels like that's a discussion point again which like if that was anybody, anybody would have gotten concussed on that hit, but it just really is so unfortunate, because after he went out, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just one too many injuries for the Eagles, and they had no shot. I mean, McCown came in and actually did a pretty decent job, but Eagles Eagles probably had slim to no shot anyways, but uh, after he went out, but the, the Seahawks could really kind of put it on cruise control. Alright, coaching carousel. In the NFL, you have five head coaching vacancies. Four out of the five are filled. We're going to go through each of those five teams. Uh, the Redskins kicked it off with Ron Rivera. always thought that that was kind of a weird one because I felt, A, that Anthony Lynn was going to be fired, which it, as it turns out I'm wrong about. And I was wrong about a couple of them. I thought Marone was going to get fired. Doug Marone has held on to his job, at least to this point. And I thought Anthony Lynn was going to get fired. And I've been wrong about that to this point. I mean, they're going to keep him. They're going to roll with him to the new stadium. But I thought that it was a good opportunity for the Chargers. You're having a coach that you're probably going to can anyways. I mean, I bet you he gets fired next year if they miss the playoffs and you can bring in an accomplished guy with head coaching experience that knows the owner, that I think, from all accounts I've heard, was fond on his time out there, you get a legitimate head coach, an adult in the building. So I thought that that made a lot of sense, but Chargers held on to their guy. I, I don't think Anthony Lynn's a bad coach by any means, or, or did he de- nor did he deserve it. Uh, the team kind of played like shit this year. Phillip played like shit this year. That's not really on Anthony Lynn, and he was pretty damn good last couple years under him. So uh, I I, th- I kind of thought he was going to get fired, did not advocate for it, though. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Anthony, but Ron goes to the Redskins and kind of feel for Ron. And Matthew Barry, the fantasy guy, had a tweet. He's a big, big, longtime hill to the Redskins guy, and... He was like, are we sure about Ron Rivera? Like, he had the one season with Cam Newton, but he's this, this, and this. And I was like, dude, are you fucking for real right now? Have you taken a look in the mirror? Do you understand the team that you root for is a perennial joke as long as I've been alive? It's the worst right up there. I mean, I think the Knicks are pretty bad, too. But I'm not a big basketball guy. And I'm sure I could find a baseball franchise that's just as embarrassing. But the Redskins are one of the most embarrassing franchises in American professional sports. They're certainly in the top three, and I would lean that they're the worst. Like when you factor in how big of a joke Dan Steiner and Bruce Allen were, and finally Bruce is out, so maybe they finally turn the corner as a franchise a little bit, and Dan Steiner goes, you know what, I think I'm going to go hands off. But Dan Snyder picked the quarterback, so I don't know how that's going to go. I just th- I just thought it was so weird. I thought Ron could have done better. I don't know uh, why he took that job. I think that he could have gotten a job with one of the other teams. I think he could have could have gotten a job with the Cowboys, looking at who they hired, and Mike McCarthy, and clearly NFL head coaching experience was important to them. I think Ron was a perfect fit then, if that's what Jerry wanted. Uh, even with the Giants, or with the Browns, would have made some sense, like... I, th- I just, I'd be very hesitant. I'd maybe sit out a year if the Redskins was all I was offered. Because if Dwayne Haskins isn't good, and it doesn't really look like he is as of now. Now, I know he, the team was terrible. He didn't get any line block. But he doesn't really look like he's, you know, Patty Mahomes out there. And if he sucks, and you can't turn that around, you are getting fired. You will not be around to coach the next guy. It is, you tied your wagon to Dwayne Haskins and Danny Snyder. And I just thought that that was a little bizarre. But moving on now to another really bizarre situation was the Cowboys. And we talked about this a little bit on the Sunday live show where the Cowboys were really mom on Jason Garrett. You know, his contract runs out January 14th. He was coaching in a lame duck year. So they really didn't actually have to fire him. they could have just let his contract run out, which maybe I would have told Jason, Hey, look, Jason we're not going to renew your contract. So feel free to go interview for these head coaching vacancies, but we don't we're not going to fire you because then you can say, "Look, I've never been fired before." Having your contract run out and then them just not re-upping it is I guess semantics in the long long scheme of things like it's like the general public's going to remember, "Yeah, well they they fired him. They didn't want him back." But there is something to be said for... Dude, I, I've, I've never been fired. I've never been fired from my job. And there's... there's I forget what other coach can say that. But he had coached for two or three different teams. And he had gotten traded one time, I think. Uh, and then just got got let go. Not let go, but like his he had a similar thing. Like his contract ran out and he just left. So I thought that they could have done that if they were dragging it out. But they still ended up firing him. So... They were really having internal discussions about keeping him. I've speculated, I speculated this last week. I think Jerry was really hesitant to let him go. And I think probably Stephen Jones and the younger, more more in tune uh, minds and voices in that building that are kind of more with the times than Jerry is, kind of put a bug in his ear and said, listen, Jerry, you gotta you gotta get rid of this guy. He's not very good. The world is not going to fall if Jason Gary's not the head coach. I know that you love him like a son, but we need to move on. It's holding our franchise back. I think that those voices kind of won out, and I think that Jerry was the one that wanted to keep him. So what do they do? They go out and they hire Mike McCarthy, which, I mean, and I crushed Mike last year. He got fired from the Packers, and deservedly so. But he's gone on this little press junket, sat down with uh, Pelissero. And did, did the interview about how he uh, went up to PFF, shout out to the employer, uh, spent a whole day at PFF looking at statistics and analytics, and he's talked a lot about analytics and things that he would do differently and things he'd like to implement from his offense, things that didn't work that he's going to scrap and things that he'd like to try or that he knows works that he's going to keep. It sounds like he's really done a lot of self-reflection and learned a lot, and if that's the case, I think he's going to be a success as the Cowboys head coach. Because, let's not forget, he was a Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers. It's not like he was coaching, you know, the Joe Schmo, Jacksonville Jaguars, or a team on the West Coast that nobody really cares about, Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, for example. He was coaching the Green Bay Packers, that have one of the largest, most visible brands in America, Behind probably the Cowboys, and I think they're tied right there with the Steelers. And now the last 20 years, the Patriots. But uh, he had success in in a demanding environment where it is legitimately playoffs and Super Bowl or bust every year. They're trying to win it all every single season. They don't really rebuild in Green Bay. And I think that 100%, he and Ted rested on their laurels and let Aaron carry them and got far too comfortable and made a ton of mistakes, and it ultimately cost them their jobs. But I don't think Mike McCarthy's a bad coach either because I've seen him do a hell of a good job coaching football teams. And I don't think he forgot how to do it. I think he just kind of lost touch with with how the league was working. I think the league passed him by a little bit. And so if he's learned from that, and has reinvigorated himself into the modern NFL, then he has one of the most talented rosters that I can ever remember a coach getting fired from. I mean, they are loaded. And they got some contract stuff to work out. Amari Cooper could end up walking. But you got Dak Prescott. You got Ezekiel Elliott. You have a fantastic offensive line. You have linebackers galore. I mean... Uh, Freaking Lee, Sean Lee. You got Jalen Smith. You got Vanderash. You have good corners in Chidobe Awuzie. You have the uh, the Byron Jones kid, Xavier Woods in the defensive backfield, along with that that Heath guy has really grown on me too. The white kid that plays safety for them. They are really good. Not to mention my man Jordan Lewis out of the University of Michigan, fantastic nickel corner. So it is one of the most complete rosters I can remember a coach getting fired from. And it's because Jason Garrett continued to underachieve with this team is why he got fired. So I think Mike's in a fantastic position and I think it was a pretty good hire by Jerry. I would have hired Ron first, but I certainly like kind of I I think that Mike is a way safer bet. Than say one of these college coaches, Matt Rule or Joe Judge, uh, Eric Bieniemy, some of these guys that don't have any head coaching experience. Now Eric Bieniemy i probably shouldn't put him in the same vein as Judge or uh, Rule because he has had coordinator experience for for a while now. He's a he's a pretty pretty smart guy, but uh, I, I certainly feel good about Mike, a guy that is an adult that can manage your team. Now I thought that Mike was going to go to the Browns. But uh, credit to the Dallas Cowboys for snatching him up. And I, I man, I, I, if you gave me 100 guesses, I don't think I would have said Mike McCarthy. Because that is, that is so out of this world. And so now he's going to coach the Dallas Cowboys in, in 2020. We move on to the Giants and the Panthers. And I'll just cover them at once. Because it was so weird how this went down. So the Panthers, with David Tepper, new owner, tons of cash, modern NFL owner, basically offers rule, whatever he wants. He's got all these resources at his disposal. And he took that offer to the Giants and said, "Hey, this is what they're offering me. Are you going to match it?" And the Maras and Gettleman said, "No, we're not. We're not going to. We're not going to give you that." And so, of course, he signs with the Panthers. And look, the Giants can frame it however they want. And I know Adam Schefter had the tweet where he said, "Well." Matt, it's it's there's the narrative out there that Matt Rule was their guy. Well, he was just a, he was among the top candidates, and Joe Judge was one of them as well. Well, I I, I don't buy that bullshit for a second. That that must have been copied and pasted from David Gettleman's phone that he had just texted Adam. Hey Adam, can you send out a quick tweet for me, dude? Send out a quick tweet for me if you want these draft scoops in, in a couple of months. Because that was so clearly from uh, somebody in the front office of the Giants, it wasn't even funny. They can can say whatever they want, but the bottom line is, Rule was their guy, and you let him get away because a billionaire owner penny-pinched on a head coach. It's just crazy. Now, I'm not sold on Matt Rule, uh, a college guy, but one thing I will say for Matt is he has done a heck of a turnaround job everywhere he's been. Temple and Baylor, and it's not like he was coaching at Alabama where he had all these unlimited resources. He was coaching at Temple, which is a small school, and then Baylor, who was just broiling in the turmoil from the uh, Art Briles administration that they had down there and all the problems that they had. And Rule got them back to winning into a, uh, a New Year's 6 bowl game pretty damn fast. So that has been impressive. And I think he's definitely at least worth a look. But, I mean, we know the history with college coaches to the NFL. Very rare to have success in both. And so many of these guys are trickling into the NFL now. We had Kingsbury last year. We have Rule this year. One of these guys is bound to hit and do really well. And then they're going to be the example of, see, you can go out and get a college coach. But, man, the Giants look sillier and sillier. Every week, it seems like. I mean, Gettleman to me. I've had a red flag on Davey G for a while now, and I feel more and more confident with every move he makes that that guy is just not cut out for the job he has. And I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but like do you want a cookie for drafting Saquon Barkley? I mean, my grandma thought knew he was going to be a superstar. That's not what they pay you. To, they don't pay you to make that pick, which by the way, you still took a running back number 2 overall as good as Saquon is. He was hurt this year, so did he help you on IR on the bench with the with the ankle injury? No, not really. Would have been nice to have a franchise quarterback at number two that year instead of taking overdrafting a guy the next year out of Duke uh, that looks not not great. So uh, I I don't know where the Giants go from here because then what was so weird is that they it's like they turned around and made a panic hire hiring Joe Judge who's the special teams coordinator and the wide receivers coach for the Patriots. Like, such a random hire. I mean, you weren't even going to bring in at least, like, McDaniels, or how about Eric Biennemi, whose name's been floating around for the last couple of years with the Chiefs. You decide to hire Joe Judge, who I didn't even know was a head coaching candidate. You did not decide to wait it out and hire maybe a Greg Roman from the Ravens or take Robert Solo from the 49ers or hire one of the Packers' assistants, one of these teams that's still in the hunt for a Lombardi that has clearly had a ton of success or had a first-week bye, you didn't want to interview any of those guys. You just turned around and immediately had the panic move of, oh, shit, they got Matt Rule. we got to hire somebody today. And so they hire a guy, the wide right receivers coach for the Patriots. Which is hilarious because, (laughs) yeah, the Patriots were definitely known for their receivers over the last couple years. Great one, Davey G. Great one, Maras. Like, those guys look worse and worse as the months and years go on. And you know what's hilarious about this? Is this reeks, it's like the same situation as when, I forget who the player that was taken ahead of the Giants in this draft. But basically they had their guy taken... And instead of like trading back or having another plan in place, their target was drafted. And so they panicked and drafted Eli Apple at number 10 overall. I remember that. And it was one of the weirdest picks. And you could tell that, I mean, everybody was talking, oh, that was the Giants guy. Giants really liked him at 10. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do now. Are they going to trade back? Are they going to take somebody? And then all of a sudden they draft Eli Apple. It was almost like David G was trying to play off no, 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 they didn't take our guy. We, we, we wanted Eli Apple all along. Yeah, sure you did, G- Davey G. S- sure you did. I don't believe you for a hot second. And so that's, I think, the most embarrassing part about it is I know nothing about this Joe Judge guy, so I'm not going to judge him, no pun intended. But he wasn't one of the names, and I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he fails. I mean, just like the Shermer hire, it was a complete dumpster fire. Gettleman... Couldn't have swung and missed harder than uh, than on the on the Shermer hire. to make another New York baseball reference. It's like Giancarlo Stanton swinging at sliders. He he couldn't miss harder than he does at that. The slider in the dirt away. You just can't touch it. That's like Davey G on the, on his coaching hires and on his draft picks recently too. They they've really got to turn it around. Uh, and I just don't know if they will. Panthers on the other hand, we'll see about Matt Rule if he's if he's good or not. But at least Tepper. Tepper paid up. He he saw his guy and went out and got him and stole him from the Giants. Didn't didn't let him go up to New York. And I think that this new this modern type owner with the big cash, the aggressive mindset, these modern owners want to win. That is their main goal when they when they acquire a team. And I think these guys will always be around because but as these teams change hands, throughout my life as we get older and more of the David Tepper types start coming into power and coming into the league, I think the more you're going to see that. And I can't wait for it because that's what owning a, owning a professional American sports team should be. Like you have billions of dollars, dude. If you want to just go make your returning capital, hand make money hand over fist, and just sit there and count your billions, go go do that somewhere else. Like, you're still, you're, every single franchise in the NFL is profitable. <laughs> I mean, I think the Raiders are, are a good testament to that. E- even they make money. So, the, the penny pinching and the conservative nature and the, the don't give a fuck attitude from some of these owners, I can't wait for some of these guys to, uh, to, to sell their teams or to, to, to die off and get the new blood in there. And I know that's, that sounds kind of morbid. And I don't mean that necessarily literally, but I'm excited for the new David Tepper types to come into the league because I think that'll really spice things up. And that's honestly, I think, how it should be. Okay, let's preview the weekend's games. Probably not going to get too into the Sunday games. We got Texans, Chiefs, and then Seahawks, Packers. Rematch Rematch of the 2014 NFC Championship game. The uh, really the turning point in Mike McCarthy's Packer career, which is kind of ironic we're bringing that game back up as McCarthy is entering the NFL with another job after being uh, fired from the Packers. Because that single day is where I kind of turned, started to turn my opinion on him. Because he turtled and blew a Packers chance to win a Lombardi trophy. Uh, who knows if, if they hold on to that game. But uh, we won't talk too much about that because I know we're going to preview it on the Sunday show. So we'll talk about Vikings, Niners, and then Titans, Ravens, and we'll get you out of here for your weekend. Interesting thing about these games is the spreads are all very high. I mean, on CBS, it's Niners minus 6.5. It's Ravens minus 9.5. Chiefs minus 9.5. Packers minus 3.5. That's the closest spread by far is the, Packers, is the Packers-Seahawks game. So let's get into uh, the Vikings game first because they will kick it off. It's the 10-6 Vikings at the 13-3 Niners. And I think it's going to be a really good game. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of think the Vikings will get boat raced. And at the same time, I I don't think you can be surprised if that happens. But uh, Vikings look damn good against the Saints. And if they can keep that momentum going, it's going to be a really close game. Because the Vikings are not a bad football team. They are a team that has underachieved as much as any in the league because of how good their roster is. I mean, just like the Cowboys... The Minnesota Vikings are freaking loaded. If you ask Matt LaFleur if he wouldn't change rosters with Minnesota in a heartbeat, I think he'd probably say yes. Now, I think it's a lot closer this year than it was last year because another year of maturity, some of those draft picks the Packers have hit on, the Elgton Jenkins, the guard that they took out of Mississippi State in the second or third round, it was, he's a rookie this year. He's, he's incredible. He has not given up a sack yet. Uh, that's that's uh, just astounding to me, um, but but the the Vikings are a really good team. They are loaded on defense. They have the two pass rushers Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. They have Limval Joseph to stuff the run in the middle, along with Eric Kendricks at the linebacker level. Uh, back deep is where they've been a little vulnerable because Xavier Rhodes is clearly in decline. He has not played well this season. Although they rebounded on Sunday, they answered the bell. But that's where they, they you can you can get at the Vikings a little bit because if their pass rush doesn't get to you, they're not really built to hold up in coverage. So uh they got hitters at the back end, like Harrison Smith, they have Sendejo, they have uh the Anthony Harris kid, who really can he, he can cover too. I think I had said that he was more of a downhill player, and I think that he is. He plays best when he's flying towards the line of scrimmage because he's a he's a big guy and he zips around the field and he is physical. But He's quick, too. I I didn't realize that he had a 90 grade from Pro Football Focus. Actually had a higher grade than Harrison Smith for the 2019 season. I didn't realize he was that good this year. Uh, But he's developed into a really solid player for them. I think you could even say, I mean, I know they still have Harrison, but he's right up there for the best player in that secondary. But the issue is Mike Hughes is banged up. I think they do still have Trey Waynes out there. But uh, it, it's going to be a tall task to, I think, slow down this 49ers offense. And that's where I'd worry if I'm a Minnesota fan. You get the Niners at home, home playoff game. This is a team that's rested and has playoff aspirations. And the Vikings have struggled. Uh, they really struggled coming off of the emotional win against the Saints uh, a couple years ago when they were in the playoffs and came out and felt so flat against the against the Philadelphia Eagles. For, for whatever reason... It feels like Mike Zimmer matches up really well with Sean Payton. I mean, there's certain coaching matchups where it's just like that. And one thing I kind of noticed with Lafleur this year is it feels like he has a tough time figuring out Matt Patricia, who is not a very good head coach. But then there were, I mean, he but he had way more success against Mike Zimmer. Which when McCarthy was around, it was the it was the opposite. He really struggled with Mike Zimmer. And uh, was did better against some of the other teams in the division. He felt like he never really struggled against the uh, Vic Fangio-led defense of the Bears. So uh, it's interesting how that kind of works. And so I think because of that, the Vikings maybe draw in closer to the Niners in the spread than they would have otherwise. But uh, I'll I tell you what, man, I don't know who I'm going to pick yet in this as far as the spread goes. Whenever it's a touchdown, you get two good teams where you feel like Minnesota could, I mean, keep the Cinderella train rolling. I think you all ha- always got to go with the underdog. But I, I do expect the 49ers to win this game, and I think they're the better team. I think they're better rested. I think they're healthier. I don't think that they'll make the same mistakes that the Saints made. Saints came out very flat in that one. I know that the that the 49ers haven't really been there, done that, s- similar to the Ravens. And I know that I, I said a week or two ago that I thought one of those two is, was going to go one and done. And I still get that feeling with two young teams that don't have a lot of postseason experience. But uh, with, the, with the way it's shaked out, I, I, I really don't, I don't know. I don't know about that one anymore, especially in the NFC. I think that if the 49ers come out and play their game, they should be able to get the run game going against the vikes and when jimmy g is forced to do it with his arm he can because if it becomes a throwing game jimmy g is better than kirk cousins and if it becomes a running game i think the vikings maybe have a little bit better players like dalvin cooks better than any running back the 49ers have but because of kyle shanahan's scheme i have to give the edge to him I i think the 49ers have the edge in the two most important things and that's head coach and quarterback They have a better head coach than Kyle Shanahan. I know Mike Zimmer's a really good head coach and a defensive guy, so that'll clearly be the matchup. It's Kyle's offense versus Mike's defense. But uh, I I think Kyle's a little better. I'd rather have Kyle, certainly, and I would definitely rather have Jimmy G than Kirk Cousins. And here's the other thing. The Saints didn't get much pressure on Kirk. (laughs) That that, that shit's fucking over. (laughs) Nick Bosa in the 49ers defensive line is going to kick his ass. And that's, I think, where I'd worry if I was a Vikings fan. And that's where I think ultimately the 49ers are going to win this game is is on defense because their defense as a whole is is really fairly underrated. I mean, everybody knows about Nick Bosa in the D-line, but Fred Warner, the, the linebacker, they could be getting Quan Alexander back this week, uh, apparently, which would be a huge addition. They have Drake Greenlaw out of Arkansas, another linebacker that's filled in in his absence and done great. They're actually pretty good on the back end, led by none other than Richard Sherman. So I expect the 49ers to win this one, and uh, we'll have to see what the spread is come Sunday. But uh, I, I'm feeling pretty confident uh, about about uh, Montana's X team and, and the boys in the Bay. We move on to the nine and seven Titans at the 14 and two Ravens, and this is what was weird. So I said before the playoffs start, felt like one of those one of those youngsters, the one seeds were going to fall, but I didn't think that they'd both be playing six seeds here now. Uh, I thought that at least one of them was going to get legitimately tested. I expected the 49ers to have to play the Seahawks, and I expected uh, the Ravens to have to take on either the Texans or the Bills. And I thought that those were going to be tough matchups. Between the two of those matchups, I felt like one of the top dogs was going to fall because Bills have a good defense, and Deshaun Watson can beat anybody on any given Sunday. And then the NFC, Seahawks have had the 49ers number. So, uh it's really interesting how it's worked out. Because now as I'm looking at it, I'm kind of changing my tune. I I think the Titans could win this game for sure. And I think that the issue is going to be, I mean, how do you slow down Lamar? Nobody's been able to do it. They're 14-2. They haven't and lost a game since they played the Chiefs on that fateful day. I did all routes for that game, and that game feels like a millennium ago. (laughs) So uh, I don't know how how you slow them down. It it feels like... uh, That Cam Newton 15-1 year with the Panthers, that's what this Ravens team feels like to me. It's never going to... You're never going to see it again, so enjoy it. Because even if they have success, they will not have it on this level next year. This is truly special, and there's some magical shit going on up in Baltimore. But... Mike Vrabel's a damn good head coach, man, and he is here for blood. I mean, he made the comment before that he would chop off his nuts to win a Super Bowl. Well, the surgeon's officially on call now because they're a game away from the AFC Championship with Ryan Tannehill. And if you read our articles... I in our preseason AFC South preview talked about how Ryan Tannehill was the most underrated signing of the season and how he was probably going to play at some point this year. And what do they do? They bench Marcus Mariota because he stinks, and they go with Ryan Tannehill, who leads them to the playoffs. They do not make the playoffs with uh, with without Ryan Tannehill. One hundred percent, they do not. And. They ran and rode Derrick Henry's 200 scrimmage yards to victory in Foxborough. But make no mistake, Ryan Tannehill's stats didn't look very impressive at the end of that game. But how many third and four, third and eights, especially in the fourth quarter in that pass game, did he hit on a deep out and accurately place the ball? That's what you have to do to win in the playoffs. And Ryan Tannehill did it. I was really impressed by him. He did what he was asked to do. I mean, if you're going to, it's almost like he gets knocked. For Derrick Henry rushing for 200 yards and the Patriots couldn't stop it. It's like, oh, well, all they can do is run. Then that's where that becomes the narrative. Well, no, I saw Ryan Tannehill when they were able to force them into third and medium, third and long obvious passing situations. Tannehill was hitting guys and they were picking up first downs and moving the clock, and that's how they won the game. And that's what the that's what Ryan Tannehill's gonna have to do again here. And and ultimately I think I think the defense is gonna have to play really, really well. And they'll have to play that same ball control game and keep Lamar on the sideline if they want to win. They will have to take that same approach into M and T Bank Stadium to, to try and come away with an upset over the one seed. And I would say probably the two most fearsome opponents in the AFC. I mean, I, I preseason picked the Chiefs to win it all, and I still believe that. But when you're talking about I think Sheer intimidation factor. You have the 20-year dynasty of the Patriots, and then you get the one seed. Well, that is that is so tough. So I think it's going to be a good game this weekend. Nine and a half points. I think I'm I I mean going to see what it is Saturday. Where I'm sure we'll make a video for the picks. But right now I'm leaning Titans on that to cover the spread. I think the Ravens will probably win. And again, I I know I'm kind of going back on think I thought that one of these one of these one seeds was going to fall, but they're both playing the six. And I just don't think that the 14-2 Ravens are about to lose to the 9-7 Tennessee Titans. I I, I think that Vrabel in the offense and Derrick Henry is going to have to try and keep the ball away from Lamar Jackson. And if they're successful in doing that, they have a puncher's chance. But I don't think that the Tennessee Titans defense is up to the task. I thought that I think they're really solid. I, I think they're a top-10 defense. They're statistically, they are a top-10 defense. But I don't think that they're an elite defense. I don't think they're up there with the cream of the crop. The, the top three or four defenses in the league. I think that there's still a tier or two below that. And I think that you need a cream of the crop, top of the line defense if you're going to slow down or stop Lamar Jackson. So that's our show. I know I'm kind of going chalk on Saturday here. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I expect the 49ers and the Ravens to win the game. Don't know who I'm picking for spreads yet. But uh, I- I'm going with the one seeds to advance to the uh, to their respective championships. We'll see how it goes Uh, it was a wild weekend last weekend and I can't wait for another, another full weekend of football. Last time we're going to get, you know, four games in a weekend because it's just going to be championship Sunday and then the super bowl after this. So enjoy this guys, because in a couple weeks, all we're going to be talking about is actually one of my favorite parts of the year, but the real football is going to be done. It's going to be speculation on the draft. It's going to be free agency. It's going to be a little bit more coaching hires. Uh, where do guys move front offices, that sort of thing. So, uh, Enjoy this. Soak up this football while we got it. Can't believe it's already January. Have a good weekend, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Sunday for the live show. Peace out.